True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. Hey there, entrepreneurs. Eric Cabral here, founder of On Air Brands and host of the Entrepreneur Circle and Capital Hacking. I wanted to share something truly unique with you that we've created called Pod Max, which is an amazing opportunity to connect you with major podcasts to help you share your fascinating stories with their communities. This unique invitation-only event includes interviews with you on top-rated business podcasts all in one day. It also provides a unique networking opportunity with high-performance guests and thought leaders who are authors, coaches and consultants, investors, speakers, executives, you name it. These are the type of people that you need to be around. We also provide industry expert keynotes to hit our stage to share insights on podcasting, investing, marketing to help you take things to the next level. And the cool thing about Podmax is that it has a multimedia agency engine behind it with on-air brands to provide social media promotions before and after the event to share your brand new shows with your network. So hit the apply now button at podmax.co and I hope to see you at the next Podmax event. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm your host, Justin Fraser. I am here with Lior Rosansky. Lior, I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you for joining me. Justin, I really appreciate being on here. I'm really excited. Yeah, we are at a very cool event called PodMax, PodMax Global. Uh, in the past, we've done PodMax in person. Of course, now with coronavirus going on, we are virtual. Uh, and where, where are you uh, coming to me from? I am out of Boston, Mass. All right. Uh, Boston. I can't even do it. I can't even do the bad fake accent, so I won't even try anymore. Uh, but, but you do not have that Boston accent, uh, that stereotypical accent. So, uh, cool. Glad to see you here. I'm here in New Jersey. We are doing PodMax, and I'm very excited to, to get you on the show, True Multifamily here. We, uh, we want to talk to you. I want you to give the audience just a brief background because your bio and your social links are all on the, the website, truemultifamily.show. So everyone will be able to go there, get the full download and get to reach out to you and everything. But get, give the audience a background uh, on how you got started and, and what you're doing now. Yeah, well, uh, I always say that I was uh, destined uh, to be doctor uh, turned real estate guy. Uh, you know, I'm a classic immigrant story. My, uh, you know, my parents won the green card lottery to come over to the States. Uh, their dream for me was always to be a doctor or a lawyer. Okay. Uh, like every, you know, very classic. Um, you know, so I ended up doing pre-med in uh, college. I graduated. I grabbed like a, you know, corporate job and was actually applying for med schools um, you know, and then I kind of started stumbling across, uh, you know, different websites online that for traditional parents would kind of scar them. Uh, you know, the, 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 the real kind of websites, the financial stuff, not the other kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful how you say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, so I kind of just slowly started reading about that stuff. And, you know, I, I've never really been taught too much about money necessarily, um, but you know, it, it just kind of started ringing a bell in my head. Ended up somehow pulling the trigger, bought my first multi when I was 23, um, and basically withdrew my med school apps from there as well. Um, you know, I partnered, I jumped and partnered with a local uh, developer to do a couple of condo projects. 
didn't make a lot of money, but learned a lot. <laughs> um, and from there on, we've just been skyrocketing. And, you know, uh, today we own about uh, 9 million bucks in rental property around Boston and are uh, continuously growing. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Um, you know, to start at 23 is awesome. Uh, I got my first rental at 25 and, you know, uh, everyone's like, Oh, you know, I wish I started that early. And then I look at everyone else. I'm like, no, I wish I started when I was, you know, 21 or 23, but good for you, man. That's amazing. So you, you got the bug for real estate. And not only did you say like, yeah, maybe I'll do this on the side. Be like, no, I'm going to drop school. I'm no longer going to be a doctor. I'm going against what the plan my parents had put in front of me and I'm going to go do real estate. Is that yeah. sum it up? Yeah, it sums it up. I mean, it, de- it definitely wasn't as easy, you know, uh, telling uh, telling immigrant parents that you're not going to become a doctor or lawyer is not an easy conversation to have. Um, and yeah, I mean, even, even taking the, you know, even making the uh, swing from partial to full time, I mean, you know, I ended up, I try to manage both, right? I try to manage my real estate portfolio, the condo development, as well as my corporate job, um, ended up you know, ended up just getting caught a couple of times, leaving the office too many times. And, uh, you know, I remember this one Friday, I uh, had to go to the closing for the development project the same day I had a huge deliverable for a client and it didn't go very well. Oh no. <laughs> so that's when I kind of realized, you know what, I, I think I just got to do this full time and yeah, I haven't really looked back since. Well, that's great. Uh, my trick was uh, I got my boss to invest in some of our projects. And so when I was working full time, so if I ever I had to go, I was like, oh, sorry, boss, I can't schedule that meeting. I got I got something for our investment over there. And, and he was always on board with that. So <laughs> whatever you got to uh, do to make it work, right? Hey, you know what? If my boss was on board, maybe I'd still have my job. Today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, okay. So you got into condos. Um, I like that you said you didn't make a lot but you learned a lot. Uh, I wrote that down as soon as you said it, because um, so, so often I hear people, they're like, I want to, you know, quit my job and make a million dollars, or I want to just jump right into real estate and, you know, maybe be like, like a Grant Cardone or something. And, and I think that um, the proper way to do it is to learn first, of course. Um, and so learning by doing, which, which it sounds like you did, and it's okay to not make a lot. And so, you know, my, my parallel to that is, uh, on my first syndication, I just brought in as many partners as I, I could to get the deal done. Certainly that project didn't make me anywhere near rich, uh, but got me the experience, which is a stepping stone to the next thing. And so sounds like from very early on, you had a vision of like the long term, like I don't need to make money now. I need the experience and the, the knowledge. So talk about that a little bit and, and how you started planning for the future. Yeah. And I think that's actually exactly how I did approach that, those first few development projects. Right. I mean, you know, the numbers certainly looked amazing on paper and I, and I, you know, a small part of me thought I was maybe going to walk away with half a million bucks my first mm-hmm. year. Um, but I mean, you know, truly what I really, you know, I really had a goal for what I wanted to get out of it and it was to really understand how the business worked, Right. Um, cause that was the first time I ever raised money. Um, that was the first time I really closed on a commercial loan. Um, you know, really went through a gut rehab where learn how to deal with permits, the city contractors, all that good stuff. So yeah, for me, I mean, it really was for me more of an educational endeavor. Um, and, and I think, I, I think it just came from that. I, I knew I had to do that. Right. Because 
I honestly really, I didn't know that much. I mean, even when you close on your first property, like, let's be honest, you still don't really know anything. Uh, um, you know, especially if it's a rental property and you just stick tenants, like, yeah, you get some lessons, but it's, it's nothing that doesn't really prepare you for how the big projects work. So, you know, for me, it was really an edu educational endeavor. Um, you know, do I wish I made a little bit more money for sure? But, um, you know, the lessons I got from there, I still use today and that's, it's been priceless. Absolutely. Uh, no, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. Of course, you know, we all want to make half a million on our first deal and, and all that, but it, it'll come. And that's the awesome thing about real estate is one deal leads to the next and relationships lead to the next. And then all of a sudden you've got partners and deals and, and money and, and things are happening, which is pretty awesome. Um, so, so great. Love that. Um, so then from there you got into, just picking up more multifamilies is uh, around Boston. Is that, is that the case? And so just give us a big picture. Like how are you finding and how are you funding your deals? Yeah. So, I mean, after the condo developments, I kind of told myself I'm done with the flipping game. <laughs> um, you know, so I really only focused on doing multifamily buy and hold. Um, you know, um, it just, it made, it made the most sense for me. Um, it grew the, it grew my net worth the most amount, um, grew my cash flow. So yeah, I ended up f focusing on multifamily, um, in terms of finding and funding, you know, it's, I don't really have any secret sauce, right? I mean, I, I wish I could tell you something you've probably never heard, but it's, it's broker relationships, it's direct mail, it's phone calls, and it's doing it every single day until your brain bleeds, right? Yeah. Uh, it really, it really is as simple as that. Uh, you know, in terms of funding, um, one thing that I, you know, one thing that's really been key to my, I think, uh, key to my success has been partnerships. Um, I've been able to find a partner um, that kind of had a little bit more experience in the commercial financing the world. Um, and together, we, you know, he kind of helped me learn that side a little bit more, both in terms of bringing in commercial loans, um, you know, raising private debt, raising private equity, structuring these deals together, um, and kind of putting all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together. How did you find your partner? Uh, so my uh, my first partner, actually, um, you know, the guy that we start from day one, he was actually my buyer's agent that sold me uh, my very first multifamily. Uh, you know, we kind of got to know each other, obviously, really well throughout the process, realized we had very similar goals, very similar ambitions, and uh, we jumped into that condo development project together. After that whole thing that ended, uh, we actually ended up bringing a third guy to help bring uh, that had the experience. He was actually our broker at the time because we were also licensed agents. And again, we all, you know, we all had the same, you know, we had very similar visions. We had very similar goals, um, very similar work ethics. And we all actually brought something very unique to the table, right? Uh, you know, my, uh, the guy that was an agent, he was a great sales guy, uh, very personable, great negotiator. I was kind of more of the numbers guy. You know, I really studied the models, the financing behind it, how to put, um, and all the marketing as well. And then that third guy, like I said, he had more experience in that commercial space, um, bringing in these commercial loans, had the network of private lenders. Um, you know, so when you really formed all three of us together, it kind of really came into a really great partnership. That's awesome. I love all that. Um, you know, having a team is important, but having a team with everyone in the right seat is even more important. And so leaning into not only what you are good at, but what you enjoy doing and, and being able to rely on other people to fill those gaps. 
uh, is I found to be absolutely crucial for success. So um, awesome. Like it sounds like everything is, is lining up. So let's, uh, I know you have a story for us and, and listeners of this podcast know uh, we like to get into nitty gritty through some stories. And so uh, we've got two today. Today's a special double story episode. So it's going to be awesome. Um, this special PodMax edition where we're going to get into two of them. And so, uh, Lior, let's talk about the first one. And, uh, you know, we spoke just very briefly about this in the beginning, but it's about, uh, figuring out how to evict a tenant that is still paying you rent, uh, which, which might to, to the untrained ear think, man, if a tenant's paying me rent, uh, why would I not want them in my property? So, so set it up and, and tell the audience uh, about this tenant and why we don't want this, this tenant who pays her rent to stay into your property. Yeah, so this is, uh, for the listeners, this is probably going to be a little bit more PG-13 stuff right here. (laughs) (laughs) They can handle it. They can handle it. Uh, Yeah, so this was, uh, you know, this was actually the first first commercial deal we closed after the condo developments. It was a six-unit deal um, that came with all below market rent tenants. Um, You know, and our business plan was pretty simple, right? We go in. Um, either raise the rents or get rid of problematic tenants, stabilize it, and, you know, we're millionaires. Uh, <laughs> it was a great business model. It's that paper. easy, by the it's way. It's that easy. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so our, you know, one of the problematic tenants there, the issue we stumbled on was we had a lot of complaints um, from other tenants in the buildings that, you know, this particular tenant had, like, people sell, she was, like, selling drugs out of the unit, um, you know, that she would be blasting her, um, blasting music in the middle of the night. And those are things that are a little harder to like, you know, prove um, in an eviction case. You know, I spent quite a bit of time talking to an eviction attorney, trying to figure out like, what are my options so that, you know, I can provide a good, you know, a good space for tenants to live in. Um, and it just, it, you know, it was really hard to, uh, to do anything, right? Because she was paying her rent. So, um, you know, and for those of you that are not super familiar with the eviction process, if a tenant is paying their rent, you can't uh, do what's called a non, you know, no fault eviction, right? Because um, unless, unless they're not paying their rent or they're behind on the rent, that's when you have a case. But otherwise, it's, you know, it's got to be kind of something a little bit more concrete that you can evict them on. So, so, so you can evict, and this is Massachusetts, right? This is Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Um, So you can evict, obviously non-payment of rent, you can evict everywhere. But if they are paying a rent, you have to find another clause in the lease that they're breaking and prove it, right? Exactly. So it's either they're breaking something else in the lease, um, you know, maybe they're doing something illegal or just doing something that's um, against sanitation, right? Stuff like that. Um, so we actually ended up finding out that we might be able to do something about that sanitation case because the one thing I w- was able to build evidence on hold was- on, Hold on real quick, but oh, I, yeah. I don't, I want to just stop you before you get into it okay, because okay. I want to dig in on, um, this tenant in particular. So, yeah. so she's paying rent, which is a good thing, yep. but she's becoming a nuisance, which is obviously not such a good thing. So, so she's blasting music all night. She's selling drugs, which we obviously don't like. So what kind of- um, feedback were you getting from the tenants and, and why do we not want, obviously it might sound simple, but why do we not want a tenant like that in, in our units, in our property? Yeah. I mean, look at the, at the end of the day, I mean, I think every land, it should be every landlord's mission to provide quality housing. Right. I mean, you know, it doesn't always have to be luxury or super high end stuff. 
But at the end of the day, if our tenants are miserable in our building, um, you know, first of all, from a very financial and business perspective, you're going to have huge amounts of turnover, right? You're going to have a lot of turnover, a lot of vacancy, a lot more maintenance. I mean, it, it all kind of escalates from there. Um, plus, you just you don't want to own a building where you get calls from other tenants complaining that, hey, this tenant just keeps bothering me. I, you know, my kids can't sleep. I keep seeing people go, you know, uh, drug dealers, whatever. I mean, yeah. that's just not the kind of property you want to be involved in. Good. So, so I love that. And that, that goes to um, a really key point here, which is, you know, obviously you're operating this not as a slumlord. You're coming from the perspective of trying to provide better housing for your tenants. And so if you, you really have like one bad apple here and you're trying to provide some, some solid stable housing to the rest of the tenants. And uh, so, so for them, you really feel like even though you're going to take a short-term loss in evicting this tenant, um, it's better for them and it's better for the long-term health of your property. Exactly. I mean, and you, and you have to kind of be willing to sacrifice it up front because I'll be honest with you. I mean, evictions are not cheap, right? Correct. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, attorneys are not cheap. All the filing fees get right back to you. Um, you obviously do risk the tenant, um, you know, upsetting the tenant and they can either stop paying rent. They can maybe start damaging your unit. I mean, there are a lot of risks that you have to kind of manage all at once. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, when we were evaluating it, it's like, you know, you got to look at your business plan, right? I mean, by keeping this one tenant in there, it will, it could essentially be the one wrinkle in your plan that could prevent you from ever really stabilizing the building, truly, pr truly getting tenants in there um, that like the building that will help you take care of the building. I mean, it really, it can really completely just kill your business in a way. Absolutely. Agree a hundred percent. Thank you for diving in on that point. Okay. So we agree. Now we understand this tenant's got to go, but she's paying her rent. So what do we do next? Yeah. So we, I mean, I was just trying to figure out like how, how can we build some sort of case, right? Because again, it's, it's not like I can just stand outside there and interview every single person going in and out. Right. Um, so the one other complaint that I received from other tenants was, um, you know, that on her porch, uh, her dog would, uh, you know, would take poops every day uh, and she would never clean it up. And they would complain that, you know, that smell would be there. Um, and it's obviously a gross smell that no one wants. Um, you know, so the one thing that I kind of started clicking to me is like, well, I mean, that is, you know, that is a sanitation violation, right? I mean, if you bring, if you want to really involve the city and you ask the city, they'll tell you they don't want, you know, they obviously don't want that, right? I mean, their goal is also to provide quality housing that's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sanitary for everyone where everyone can enjoy. Um, you know, so that's kind of, that's kind of the one thing I was able to find. Um, and we were able to use that, right? So what I would do Every single week, I would literally come to the property, go to the back deck, look at the dog poop, and uh, take a video picture of it. And I tell, look, um, you know, Mrs. Tennant, you, again, I'm sending you another text with the proof that you're doing this again. You're leaving the dog poop. You cannot leave dog poop on public space. I mean, you shouldn't leave it anywhere, but uh, especially public space. Um, you know, and we kind of built this over a couple of months where I'd literally have it on my calendar, you know, go to the property to take a video of it. And eventually that was what was able to, uh, you know, what was able to help us get her out of there. Um, you know, we ended up filing the eviction for those causes. Um, and after, you know, a lot of back and forth, that's, that was kind of the wrinkle that, uh, 
you know, was able to get her out of there. <laughs> wow. So how long would you say, like, how many times did you have to go? How long is the case that you had to build for the judge to determine, like, yes, this is a pattern and worthy of eviction? Yeah, I mean, Massachusetts in general is a very tenant-friendly state, uh, probably one of the most out there. Um, you know, so evictions here are very, very tough. Um, even even if you have great cause, um, you know, you're still typically looking anywhere from four to eight months on a good day. Um, so for us, um, you know, on that particular tenant, we started that eviction this summer, and we really didn't get her out there until like the following spring. So it still was close to like a nine month eviction. Wow. You know, we were glad that uh, she was still paying rent, um, you know, so the rent was still coming in, but you know, it did take quite a bit of time to really get her out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, your other tenants are unhappy. They're dealing with the, the smell of sanitation issue, but man, good on you for taking the initiative to just get out there and, and take those photos and videos. And, and obviously the subject matter was not very pleasant, but um, you figured out how to build your case and you went out and did it um, for the, the betterment of your property, which is um, awesome. So, so props to you for sure. That's, that's great. Um, so, so then just to f- close out that loop, um, you, you brought the evidence to, to the court. They accepted it. They, they processed the eviction. Um, did she damage on the way out? Uh, what was the condition of the unit uh, when you got it back? No, so we, we kind of got lucky. We ended up actually, you know, our eviction attorney was very big for us. Um, we ended up actually negotiating a very good uh, deal with a tenant where we got her out of there, um, you know, a little bit sooner than, I mean, it could have actually been even prolonged and it could have been another four to six months. Wow. Um, we ended up getting her out of there without any damage to the property. Um, it basically cost us, we, we basically funded her moving expenses. Wow. Um, you know, so it cost us a couple of grand there, but again, the math we were doing both from a very financial perspective, as well as a build, you know, building management perspective, I think the return was fantastic, right? We were able to get her out of there. We were able to go in, clean up the unit, do what we needed to do, and then screen our own tenant and, um, you know, rest- and kind of stabilize the building. So it, it was right. well worth it. Amazing. Amazing. So many lessons we learned from that story from start to finish. Um, number one being, I don't want to invest in Massachusetts. So more property for you, my friend, but oh my goodness, four to eight month eviction processes. That is something else. So uh, good on you for taking on that challenge. Um, that's great. Uh, you know, I, I think that the way that you handle that shows uh, so much in terms of just keeping the bigger picture in mind. And, and so often with multifamily, like, that you have to, right? If you're wholesaling or flipping a house, like you, you've only got a few months to make decisions and, and move on. But when you're thinking about a multifamily asset that you're going to be holding and managing for the long term, you have to invest and, and take, take losses in the beginning and, and set things up the right way so that you're not paying for it in year two and year three and year five and, and onward. So I think you made the right call there. I know you made the right call. And, um, you know, I, I just applaud your foresight and decision-making process to, to take that short-term loss for the long-term gain. And, and that's something that I think everyone should, should take out of this episode 100%. So, really great lesson learned there. Um, so 
Let's move on since the special giant Podmax uh, episode. Uh, normally, I would end the episode right there. We're going to keep on going and give us a second uh, story here. Um, and so, so you have, as most of us do, uh, have had some contractor issues in the past. And, um, you know, contractor issues are something that I feel like every time I figure out one set of issues, there's a whole new set of issues and uh, you never really as, as dialed in as you get it, then something brand new happens. And, and so I always am looking to uh, get some help and, and lessons learned in, in this regard. So uh, set it up, tell us about the, the, the property and the story and, and get into uh, the, the story for us. Yeah, so uh, contractor management is uh, a lesson we all learn from every day, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, so th- this particular one, this was actually the uh, my very first, the very first condo development deal. So this was really my second deal I've ever done before. Um, you know, and, and this was the one where I ended up partnering with a local developer. Um, you know, that relationship I've learned um, kind of took a little bit of a downturn as well. Our ethical standards were a little bit different. Um, but you know, even, even the whole, uh, project management perspective was, it was, it was a really, it was really a kind of a slap to the face in terms of, uh, education. So, you know, it, it was a gut rehab for which your listeners, what it means is we essentially took down the property to, as a, to the shell, right? So we were doing everything from scratch, uh, where we were putting in brand new framing, electrical plumbing, football, new board and plaster and so on. And, you know, in this particular project, um, again, this was the first time I've ever dealt anything with construction. I have no construction background whatsoever. I, I, I don't even know how to screw in a nail. <laughs> um, you know, so you don't screw in a nail. There you go. My, my lingo is not even that great with this. <laughs> and by the way, that's all I know too. So you're good. So yeah, now yeah, we're on the same level. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> And just to like even set it up more for you, I mean, you know, I didn't even know what really a permit was. Like okay. I, I was under the impression you just go in, do work, boom, you're out. Just and then I found out that, yeah, and then I found out you have to bring in architects, you have to go to what? the city, the bit permit, <laughs> fire sprinkler. Yeah, that, that was a it was a yeah. rather, it was quite an experience. But I um, hear you. Um, yeah, so we were doing this project, and I was essentially the project manager, right? We were, uh, we when we do work um, from the very first project to now, we don't hire general contractors, we sub everything out. Um, so I was essentially the general contractor, um, you know, in, in training. And, uh, you know, we ran into a number of issues. So our um, just from the get-go with the framing, um, you know, we hired a brand new framer that no one's ever used, even, that, even the experienced developer, that was his, a new contact for him. And we ended up having to reframe the building three times. Uh, I mean, he, you know, he would just keep messing up, um, just did a bad job with windows, uh, would not follow some of the plans, um, you know, and, and I would just beat my head to the wall trying to figure out how to explain what kind of outcome we needed. Um, and, it, and it was just so frustrating, right? Because you would talk to the guys on site, you would explain to them, hey, I need... I need this open here. I need it framed like this. The windows need to match, right? I mean, it, I, I didn't think I, it was rocket science, but, you know, it really took us almost three different times, which delayed us by probably two to three months alone. Um, you know, and when you're sitting on a hard money note um, that you your Pinterest on, on a million dollar loan, yeah, it, it adds up very, very yes. quickly. Very expensive money, very, yeah. Very expensive. And then, you know, it kind of continued to, I mean, we made even, unfortunately, we made more mistakes, um, you know, on, on the plumbing side, we had our plumber, 
who roughed in the plumbing, um, did a pretty decent job, got steady sign off. And then the, the next day when I uh, started to, when I wanted to call him and talk about some of the finished stuff, just didn't answer my call. And the next day didn't answer my call again and wouldn't answer me for a week or two. And I haven't heard from him to this day. Wow. Just disappeared, uh, you know, it, out of the blue. And we were just so, you know, we, it, it made us scramble, right? I mean, we had, we were, we were first, we were taken back by it. We then had to bring in a new plumber to take over the plumbing permit. And it was just, it was such a back and forth. And again, I mean, if you can imagine, this is your first time you've ever done any sort of renovation work and all of this is falling in your lap. I mean, it was, you know, it was quite a bit of, quite a bit to handle. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. Um, well, sounds like you had a great first time uh, GC experience there. I mean, what, so, so what do you take out of that? I mean, it sounds like, you know, you had you know, with the, the framing, the plumbing, like how, what do you, when you look back now, um, how do you frame that time in your mind framing uh, that time in your mind? And you know, what lessons did you take out of that for your future projects? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I've talked about this quite a bit and I wish there was a great solution. I could say like, yeah, I should have done this and it would have avoided that at the end of the day. I mean, you know, on your first couple of projects, you really just don't know what you don't know. Right. And, it really is a matter of just jumping into it, figuring it out. Will you get screwed? Probably. And if you don't get screwed, and if you haven't gotten screwed yet, you will, believe me. <laughs> right? So it really is just a matter of time. But, you know, in the real estate business, I think it's just being, you know, you kind of learn to be adaptive very quickly, right? You learn to kind of, you learn to spot where the BS is. You learn to spot who's doing what they're supposed to be doing very, very quickly. And you learn to adapt, right? I mean, I, even on my most recent project, I actually had to fire a plumber of mine that's worked for me for two years because, you know, he came up with some story that um, I knew was complete farce, right? Um, and it cost, did it cost me an extra couple grand? It did. Um, but again, I mean, the way I, I build my business on, on relationships, right? And I told him, look, man, you, you've had my business for two years. I, I'm a one strike guy, right? You, you screw me once we don't do business again and I'll learn my lesson. You learn your lesson. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's just, you, you gotta be adaptive. It, it'll happen to you on day one. It'll happen to you in year 10, right? It's, it's just a question of how quickly can you figure it out and how quickly can you, you know, uh, mitigate the losses and move forward with the project. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you could, you, you maybe could have brought in someone with more experience. You maybe could have brought in someone that had done that before. You probably could have um, asked for references on a framer, but at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. Like there, there's so many unknowns and when you don't know what you don't know, you just have to push forward. And you know, there's, there's, this whole thing of, you know, analysis paralysis and people getting stuck because they don't have all the answers. And I find that you're going to get a lot more answers by doing it. And as long as you're well-funded and you have reserves, you're going to pay, but you're going to learn, you know, your, your education is in paying that extra few grand for the plumber or for the new framer to come in and fix the old framers work. And you know, that, that's how you learn and, and adapt and, and you'll be better in your business moving forward. And so I do agree that sometimes uh, experience doesn't make up for it. And sometimes you just have to go through it and, and uh, deal with it. And, and sometimes you just get a contractor that's, you know, 
like, why would that plumber not want to come back and finish? Right. So he just determined for whatever reason that it wasn't worth it. And maybe it was a financial decision. Maybe it was a personal thing and, and you'll never know. And, and that's okay. You just move, move forward. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, I, I, I do, I do talk about this too. And especially from a lot of uh, newer investors, everyone wants to figure out how to mitigate every single risk. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's impossible, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a game of risk management, right? That's what it is. And if you look at even the biggest players in the planet, right? I mean, how many times do you see a mega developer getting in a lawsuit with his contractor? Like a lot, right? I mean, right, it right. happens. It's, it's business. Things things end up happening. But you know, one thing I've learned is it, again, it's just how do you adapt to the situation? Um, you know, obviously, you want to have a strong financials, right? Like you were saying, um, so that you can survive those hits. Um, you know, so I always say don't don't invest your life save all your life savings into one project, right? Because you you'll, you won't see them again. But uh, you know, as long as you're properly capitalized, as long as you've got a good team and you're adaptive and you can figure out a solution, you know, it's it's just the cost of doing business. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so so then, let's say you're an ex project and you need a framer. Tell me, how are you finding the framer for your next project? <laughs> great, great question. Great question. Uh, yeah, I mean, today what I do for any, I mean, I, you know, I hire new contractors all the time. I will, like you said, I will get a couple of personal references. Um, you know, I like to get it from developers or from investors that I know that I know do good work. Um, I'll ask them to see, you know, I'll ask them for a couple of pictures or videos of their previous work. Um, and then I'm, I, you know, I, unfortunately, since I have been, you know, screwed out of some money, I will be harder about contracts and I will be harder about the way I pay contractors. Right. I'm not going to give you a 50% deposit on day one. It's don't ask. It's, it's, it will never happen. I don't care if you're God's gift. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, so you just kind of learn, uh, you know, you kind of learn to set new expectations with contractors. Um, you know, you redevelop the contracts and everything and, you, and you know, that, that's how you do it. I, I agree. And, and by the way, it's to your point, like you're always scaling and growing and learning new and bringing on new contractors and on any level. I mean, uh, just yesterday I was having a conversation about one of our projects and some contractors that we have that are giving us a hard time. And it's like, we've dealt with similar situations. We haven't dealt with this specific situation, but it's like, all right, you know, my guard's up. My guard is always up now because I've been burned. I've, I've had materials be stolen in the past and, and I've had, I've gone through it. So uh, my tolerance for mistakes on that is very little. And I'd rather honestly um, correct it. Bef- like it's, it's a minor issue now, but you got to correct it now. And that comes with experience and, and going through it and realizing like, yeah, that little indicator t- can turn into something that's, that's pretty big later on. So um Amazing lessons learned. Thank you for, for sharing that story with us. Um, it's so good. So, so many different um, elements going to, to dealing with contractors. And, um, you know, that's something that everyone, like you said, even the largest developers in the world have, have trouble with. So uh, I always want to learn from that and, and uh, learn from other people's mistakes and, and learn from my own as well. And uh, that's great. So, so let's move, move towards the end here. Let's talk about um, what your portfolio looks like now and what you're looking for and, and, and all that, like what, what, what's happening right now. Yeah. So our portfolio is, uh, like I said, it's mainly, it's all multifamily residential units. Um, you know, we, we buy a lot of uh, value add and gut rehabs to today. Um, we're actually starting our first ground up construction projects uh, this spring too. So I'm pretty excited about that. 
Um, you know, so right now it's a, it's a just a under 30 units um, and Boston's an expensive market. So that's why, you know, the total number, you know, yeah. each unit is about $300,000 here. Um, you know, so that's, that's how I get that. But yeah, that's what we look for. Just value add um, any, you know, uh, today I'll do anything from zoning, uh, rezoning plays um, to ground up plays. I'll get a little bit more creative, um, you know, anywhere where I see opportunity. <laughs> And that's great. Um, so, so someone wants to, if I'm an investor in Massachusetts, I want to learn more or meet up with you or, or chat with you. How can I get in touch with you? Yeah. Uh, you can uh, find me on my social links. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on YouTube. Um, my main website is just leorozanski.com. Um, you can shoot me an email to my personal Gmail. It's just lrozanski at Gmail. Um, you know, so one of those ways you'll definitely be able to get in touch with me. Um, and you know, I'm always happy to share my experiences, my thoughts, however I can help to the investor community. Uh, you know, I've, I've gained so much from other people that, you know, I, whatever I can do to share back, I'm more than happy to do so. I love it. Well, our, our audience really appreciates you coming on the show to share that with us. Um, and I hope you'll come back and, and share some more because there's always a new lesson in multifamily. And so we want to hear more and more. So, uh, please come back. We, uh, we appreciate it. And, uh, thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me. It was fun. And uh, hopefully we'll do this again soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community. And you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily. I'm really, really proud to have this show produced by our company, On Air Brands. Check us out at onairbrands.com. We also have an incredible, unique podcasting event that we would love for you to be a part of. Check that out at podmax.co.